Friends, it is time for the Weekend IndyCar Listener Q&A. Get this show popping off, finally as it should, on a Monday early evening. It is gorgeous outside here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Spent about the first half of our day driving all around it. At an early morning appointment with my wife over on the peninsula where I grew up. A little bit south down in Palo Alto. And then got back here early afternoon and been rocking out. Posted a story today, something that I heard about last week, actually. Uh, and look forward to the finer details of that coming out. That being IndyCar and NBC staying together. Mom and dad, no divorce. We're, they're recommitting. New marriage vows coming. Best part that I've heard, which I mentioned in the article on racer.com supposed to be a fairly significant growth in the number of events on big NBC, the network itself, not cable. So for a series that is heading towards a hybrid power plant future, and there being somewhat significant costs associated with that, don't know exactly what they are, but again, from those that I speak with, uh, they know the budgets are going up here 2023 and beyond. Well, being able to say... You are in front of more eyeballs. Your TV ratings are better. And NBC is really, truly embracing you as a valuable, valuable product to put in front of as many eyeballs as possible on the big network. Those things just speak towards massive improvement and incredibly, incredibly smart stuff coming, it sounds like, between NBC and IndyCar. Also mentioned, hey, testing, and a lot of it, a lot of potential for some cool stuff too heard about some drivers who uh could be testing with some teams that uh, we might not have seen in any car before some that we have but just stuff happening so looking forward to all that and two newsy items couple more things coming uh look forward to getting published gonna do a silly season update as soon as i can saw that our friend andy merrick put together a combined graphic some of you might have seen about my reporting, another reporter's reporting, as I shared with Andy via DM. Not all of the information on that graphic is accurate, so I'm going to try and fix that here as soon as I can by getting a uh, full paddock silly season update done. And yeah, uh, I planned on starting the recording here, what, at 6.25 p.m., I planned on starting this about an hour and a half ago, and then I spent the last hour and a half on the phone with some drivers, some managers, some other folks, and ooh, spicy, truly. I'm not, I'm not overselling anything here. There's some spiciness going on in terms of potential driver movement, uh, what some people want to make per year, which I'm like, wow. Uh, that's that's a lot of money and uh yeah we'll get into that maybe if we can at some other time some of the asking prices for some of the seats in indycar just a lot of fun but all admittedly it's kind of the normal process when you're doing the silly season stuff call around you ask questions nobody wants to talk on the record but with the right relationships they trust you know you'll do things properly so uh, anyways, going to look forward to getting that out as soon as I can, among a lot of other work going on this week. And if I thought last week was busy with seven, I think it was a final number of appointments for my wife and I, I thought this week was going to be a little bit easier. 
y'all know me. You know, you know that I'm not that smart in the head. Um, yeah, we we're topping last week. You've got eight appointments. Uh, almost all of them involve significant travel and refueling of our uh, of our little SUV. So none of that's a bad thing. It's none of that's a complaint. It's all good stuff. All things that bring us closer to uh, a finish line somewhere in the distance for my wife uh, with the health challenges she has been uh, meeting and beating the heck out of. But yeah, just a really busy time. And then work on top of that. And hey, we've got a podcast here to do, which you know I love. Uh, I truly love this listener Q&A show. So let's do what we always do and say a massive thank you to Cooper Tires, Road to Indy, presented by Cooper Tires. I asked some of you, all of you, some of you responded to send in your thoughts on who you're most impressed by among the three steps on the Road to Indy this year. Uh, the Justice Brothers, I know that I was very tardy in getting last week's Weekend IndyCar up. That went up on Saturday, late Friday night, Saturday. Don't know if you got a chance to listen. Uh, you might if you haven't. Got a jingle in there from Ed Justice Jr.'s father, uh, the original Ed Justice, uh, 1960s car commercial uh, for their engine cleaner product, which just, yeah, just awesome. I remember that. Uh, I remember using it as a kid. I mean, uh, helping my dad at his shop. Uh, so that was a really cool little flashback for me. Then our great pals at torontomotorsports.com. They're going to be at Nashville, y'all. Uh, they're going to be there with their mobile merchandise trailer. If you happen to be a member of the Prue Day listener group, the very informal listener group, but really fun group of folks, uh, loosely led by our friend John Wojnar, uh, whose Twitter handle is at John Wojnar, J-O-H-N-W-O-J-N-A-R. Uh, he's kind of the, the, I don't want to say gatekeeper. It's not like, you know, you've got to meet any real uh, level of anything to join, but uh, he's the person who welcomes folks in, sign, basically adds them to the uh, the group chat. And so, yeah, if you have an interest, bench racing is something you enjoy, just getting to know some folks. There have been a couple of Day meetups this year, which has been a lot of fun at a couple of IndyCar races. I'm not a member of it. I don't see any of it. I have no idea what they do or talk about. I just know a lot of the individuals. They're a blast. So if you're just looking for some new racing friends and you want to be around some weird, wacky, fun folks on social media and private discussions, maybe meet up at the track as well, you might reach out to our pal at John Wojnar and say, hey, uh, let me in. Uh, I'm going to be the golden bowling ball and wreck everything. Last little note for you. If you have a chance or an interest, I've been spending time late each night, usually a little bit of time adding new items to the merchandise page at marshallpruittpodcast.com. And I I think we're getting to a pretty decent place. Uh, Looking now, we have 20 different racing stickers available. Okay, that's a lot. Uh, We've got magnets, large format stickers, seven of those. Going to have a five or six more to add here in a couple of days. Most of what we have right now are IndyCar. Going to add in some sports car stuff there too. And we're at almost 50 items that I've added on the memorabilia sage. sage? Sure. Sales portion of the page. I just merged two words for no reason. Almost 50 items so far on the memorabilia page. 
and it's just me trying to get rid of stuff that I've either bought, been given, I don't know where it came from, fell from the sky, pulled it out of uh, storage, pulled it out of a closet, just trying to lighten our proverbial load, uh, and also try and save for uh, some cool stuff in the future for my wife and I. So if you get a chance, marshallpruittpodcast.com, that dumb little merchandise page. Have fun, maybe take something home. All right, uh, I need a little bit of music bed as we get rolling here. Where do we start the show? Where, where, where? Well, once again, I want to say thank you, as always, to our pal, great pal Jim Kaiser, who puts together the list every week, decides what I should do and what goes below the red list of death. And uh, he said there's some good stuff below that red line. So we'll see how far we get. Going to do about an hour and a half total today, period, because that's about all I can do. Uh, Jamie Carr, you kick things off here. Marshall, typically, the first race of the season, there's talk of knocking off the rust about drivers having to get used to driving and racing each other again. Given the current one-month break, will there be similar discussions or legitimate concerns? Is there more of a concern since the returning race is a street course and a totally new race course at that? Well, that's where this fun testing stuff comes in, Jamie, knowing that we're going to have four tests going on. Uh, one of those four is just an individual single car test that for Top Gun Racing at Sebring, but you're going to have almost the entire field having tested at either WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, Portland International Raceway, or the Oval, the Gateway Oval Worldwide Technologies Raceway. Not saying every single team, but almost every team will have tested between now and Nashville. So I would say not a real concern. Just add little closer to this, considering the pace of the season so far, Jamie, where there really has not been any kind of meaningful break. Like we've just had two weekends off in a row. It's the first time that's happened since things got hopping on what was that uh the 16th 17th of april we went into that final that first race i should say at barber so if anything this has been the we just finished what felt like a marathon we are recharging letting muscles and brains and everything else just get back to a a proper state of recharging and then going again compared to feeling like scattershot, infrequent, couple races here, then a break, then one, then another break. I'd say this, if anything, my friend, is a most welcome recharging. Even so, some of the drivers that I've spoken with over the last week or two, they've tried to fit in vacations. Some of them have, which is great, but it's a couple days, not more than three or four at most. And then they've, frankly, been catching up on a lot of things in life. (laughs) Hey, We need to tear up the backyard and put in some new sod. Hey, we need to paint this. Hey, whatever it is. uh, There hasn't been a lot of time to do real-life, normal-life things. So I think the interesting questions that are going to come, hopefully some will ask at Nashville once the drivers get there, is tell me about the majority of what you did since mid-Ohio. And I think the percentage is going to be you know, a little bit of rest, a little bit of vacation, but probably a lot of, yeah, boy, that dog needed to be walked a lot more, and uh, he or she, yeah, they put in a lot of miles, and uh, I completed a lot of honeydew lists, and let's get back to racing. James Counter, 
similar thread-ish. How important is testing uh, set to take place over the next couple of weeks? How important is it? Says, do teams like Penske get less out of it than, say, a Dale Coin Racing due to diminishing returns? Or does their perceived greater excellence mean uh, they take away even more from the test? Two items here, James. Money and ideas. So a Dale Coin Racing has as many test days available to them as Penske and every other team. What Dale Coin Racing does not have is the same size budget as a Penske, for example. So whereas there's the highly talented dual engineering system at Dale Coin Racing with its two cars at Penske, oh boy. Not only do they have four race engineers for their individual entries, they've got technical directors and this is engineering guy and that engineering person and he and she and you name it. There's a big pool, much bigger pool of engineers and also a vast sum of money by comparison to Dale Coin Racing to then take the ideas from those engineers who wonder about whether it's a damper package, uh, aero setting, suspension, this, uh, this, that, or whatever else, and come up with those items to either test, whether it's a wind tunnel, whether it's a shaker rig, whether it's a whatever, away from the track. Proof of concept. Is it going to be something worth developing and trying out on track, or did that idea die on the vine uh, in some form of you know bench testing, static testing? Just call it non moving wheels on the racetrack testing and how many of those things get carried forward to the test to try so dale coin racing in terms of and i'm using the two examples you've provided uh olivier boisson is as smart as they get he's going to come up with a ton of great ideas the thing with dale for example which has been the case for many years is we are lacking for things we'd like to do engineering r&d wise We just don't have the money to develop all of them uh, and then take the better ideas to the racetrack to test out. They have ideas, and they do as much as they can. Limited, by comparison to Penske, number of items. Penske, again, they don't go, it's not like it's an unlimited budget, but yes, they will have a lot more stuff that will probably be at a higher percentage hit rate of quality, or, or I should say success, uh, when they bring that to the track, fewer blind items uh, that they would, you know, not really know how it might work out. So the value is there for both. The, I would say there's no greater value for one or the other. Just a difference of resources in what you can bring to test. What you will often find, since you're pitting one of the smaller teams against one of the absolute biggest teams. The smaller team is the one that is probably going to have more aha-type moments when they are able to get out and do these mid-season tests. It's not as if they aren't constantly looking for things that they can improve while at the shop, looking through data from whatever race this year, years past. They're always trying. Not always able to press those ideas into test items to then go hit the track. All the teams have the same number of tests. Just keep in mind that for a team like Coin with fewer resources, fewer things to bring, probably working 
with fewer items to try and trot out and improve their car from race to race until they get to that next test to then hopefully have a couple of aha moments. Yeah, wow, that's a, it might only be worth a tenth of a second per lap, but that's a big gain. Wow, that's going to help. Or who knows if it's going to be a significant lap time change, but maybe just from a drivability standpoint, driver comfort with that drivability car is less on a knife edge doesn't feel like it's trying to kill you as much and yeah hey maybe it's not really reflecting on the stopwatch so much from an individual lap standpoint but over 5 10 20 30 laps during a fuel stint being able to be more comfortable more consistent at that speed that's where the overall average lap time comes down and that's where the gain is found that's really what happens here with a Penske, unless they're way out to lunch for most of the year and like Andretti was last year and big investment, big effort to get back on track and they find it towards the end of the season. In Penske's case, it's probably going to be a lot of refinements, probably going to be trying to just sharpen little areas here and there of performance. That's about all that's different between them and a Alex Pillow or Pato Award or Colton Herta on the average weekend. Granted, those Penske cars have been really quick lately, but their gains are not going to be big ahas. It's going to be little fractions, but since they're already at the sharp end of the field, James, and competing for wins, they're looking for the little tiny bits to just push them over the edge. Uh, Daniel Engleton, continu- continuing on the theme although I'm struggling to say continuing, which is kind of funny. Hey, MP, what sort of activities are teams undertaking back of the shops during this mid-season break? (sighs) Don't know if I can offer any crazy insights of like, oh, well, this is the big thing. Uh, Consider the Ray Hall team, for example. They've broken ground and are building crazily on a giant new shop. So that's taking up some of their time and resources. Beyond breaking all the cars down, inspecting and perfecting everything and then putting them back together other than that what one weekend off between uh, the indy 500 and detroit and then what i'm trying to think was there a weekend between yeah i think there was a weekend between road america and mid ohio there just haven't been many serious weekend off breaks i think there was between texas and and uh, the Indy road course race, but teams are flat out a thousand percent getting ready for the 500. So although there was no weekend of racing between those two events, like, look, (laughs) no one was at home catching up on naps. Beyond allowing teams to get a little bit of rest, crew to get a little bit of rest, recharge a bit there, the general absence of time in the shop to focus on some of the periphery, hey, whether it's the uh, timing stand that could use a, a good general oil change, lubrication, and rotate the tires, to servicing refueling probes, to two, 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 full inventories of everything. A lot of it could be planning for next year that they're starting to do. Uh, I'd say you probably see more things that aren't like really shiny and fun and wow. And like, I want to get into racing and then work for a team and I can get to IndyCar. And then what would you do during a long break? Like, oh, oh, okay. Well, yeah. Hey, uh, 
you could put a new coat of varnish on some of the wood in uh, the transporter uh, in the engineering office. Or hey, yeah, let's let's polish all the headsets and uh, clean all the radios and uh, maybe assess the state of holding battery charges in all of them. And if there are any that are suspect, let's go get a few on order. And, you know, there's that aspect, Daniel, that I don't know if we don't talk about it much, but you know, you want to you wanna allow there to be a little bit of mystery, right? There's a little bit of glamour to working in motor racing, especially at the upper level. I spent almost all of last Saturday in our long-standing storage facility, which is about a 45-minute drive north. We used to live closer to it when we opened it up. And some of that stuff I haven't seen in 15-ish years since we opened it up. Uh, it was used primarily for my little endurance racing team that I ran. By the way, my uh, my car, which has never gone away, it's just been sitting in a friend's shop for about 10 years, uh, looks like it might be getting back to being used my former my former driver uh dear friend gary sheehan um he and uh and a friend uh it looks like they're going to be trying to get my old scion uh turbocharged tc crazy renard indycar wings hanging off uh the front of it and all kinds of stuff it looks like they're going to try and get that ready to race again at the uh, 25 hours of thunder hill at the end of the year i don't anticipate having anything to do with it I have no interest. Like, I've done enough. I've put in my time as an IndyCar or racing mechanic, engineer, manager, team owner of my own stuff. Like, I feel so I'm content. But I am stoked to know that that little poop box might be out running again. Anyways, uh, while up there, looking through things, cleaning things out, and throwing a lot of stuff away, came across some of the things that fit into this general category, what might you be doing or what are just some of the, the minutiae uh, that goes on that doesn't involve race cars and all the cool, sexy stuff? And I'm just looking through some of these notebooks, looking through some of these binders that I put together for former programs. And it's, you know, hey, when I ran an NHRA sport compact team, I was looking through, coincidentally, NHRA last weekend was at Bandemir, uh Dragway, or whatever they call it, in Denver, um, or Colorado. Uh, looking through the event uh, book that I put together for the team that I was managing, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago when we our event was at Bandemir. And it's like, it was really good. I'm so proud of myself. And I'm looking through everything. It has every, you know, as the team manager... But also, in that case, managing pretty heavily involves organizing. Uh, it was, you know, having to put together the travel itineraries for everybody, the event itinerary, every person's task, the run lists for each session, not just when they were, but what we are doing, who is doing what, who needs to do what and when, knowing that there are some pros, some volunteers, just trying to, here's a master document of how to execute this weekend so that if you have any questions in your role uh, and I'm not available or someone else, you know, ownership isn't there, turn to page 13 and bam, you got it. And so I'm not saying that IndyCar teams are sitting down typing out Word documents and spreadsheets, but it's stuff like this where you go like, 
hey, uh, we're considering changing healthcare providers. Okay, well, uh, why don't we do a little bit of a budget forecast as to what those changes would mean? And, uh, hey, we're thinking, again, it's a lot of things like that on top of the full vehicle preparation. Hey, our tractors, tractor trailers, the tractors, like, let's talk about registering the thing. Uh, is it coming up for registration? Does it need servicing? Like, all the things where you go, if you got downtime, what's the stuff you're going to check off on that list that will allow you to execute the rest of the season properly without, oh, sorry, uh, we've got to go rent some other tractors because ours are going to be in the shop while we're at uh, Indy Road Course. That would be dumb for some teams. But anyways, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and then hopefully a little bit of rest. Oh, and then there's a lot of testing too. Uh, why don't we close this opening thread? We often have a little bit of a, a thematic opening thread why don't we close this off with Jack Kelly? It says Ireland, Olympics, and IndyCar. Indy Lights combined. Uh, Nikki Daly, cousin of Connor Daly, will represent Ireland at the Olympics in hockey. I believe she was an engineer with Hunkos Racing and Indy Lights previously. Are more Olympians hanging around the IndyCar paddock? <sighs> Not that I know of, Jack. I'm forgetting the guy's name. I met him, and he was really nice. Uh, feels like it was seven years ago. Eight or more is a swimmer, and he came around and was wanting to do a little bit of stuff, and he brought his gold medal from the, I don't remember what year Olympics it was, but I think he might have been there with the Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, maybe, or IndyCar, I don't remember. Totally blanking on the guy's name. Could probably Google it and find out, but hey, uh, sorry. That's the last Olympian that I remember hanging around a bit, right? Not just once, but more than once. And I know that he wanted to do, try some junior open wheel stuff and try some stuff and see if he had some talent. Didn't hear much of anything afterwards. So I, I think Jack swimming might've been the better, better thing. And this was before Ryan Lochte, I believe, uh, Gia, I, I, boy, if it was Ryan Lochte, now that would have been hilarious. Uh, let's see. Some guy by the name of Daniel Engleton, who just asked a question uh, two questions ago, is back. Says, hey, MP, how would you rate Scott McLaughlin's season so far? Ahead, behind, or about where you expected him to be? Uh, I think the, the latter option uh l-a-t-t-e-r not ladder i think of ladder matches i don't know why but i just did uh although this past weekend was a wwe money in the bank uh event which i haven't seen but i've heard that it was really good so need to try and watch that uh let's see i i would not be disappointed at all in any way shape or form in scott mclaughlin's rookie season so all the things that we know Rookie, true rookie, did some tests last year, made his race debut at St. Pete, so got it. Would expect him to come back to St. Pete and show fairly well. Uh, oddly enough, not a brilliant weekend, but whatever, uh, coming back. Um, I just look at consistency, and there was a strong opening to the first half of his season, and there's been a bit of a dip the second half, and that's totally normal and expected. Uh, as a rookie, learning the majority of the tracks, 
also dealing with the sheer brutality of talent around him, right? Even for the most talented race car drivers coming into something that's brand new, there is a thing about the driving personalities of those that you're in and around. It's not just the, who can you trust and who's an idiot? It's the, Hey, to be able to do my job, right? And I'm not so much talking about qualifying where you've got enough, you should have enough, uh, road to be able to, uh, do your thing. But for me to perform the way that I need with confidence and security in a race, it's not just who's the idiot, who, who are the good ones who are going to take care of you. It's just the general knowledge of, Hey, I have to perform. I have to perform out here. This is my little vehicular ballet at 190 miles an hour, whatever it is. I got to have a feel for what's going to take place. If I do this, what will that person do? What's, what's their tendencies? I need to learn these things, incorporate them into my behaviors with the vehicle, turning the steering wheel, playing with the pedals, and adjust accordingly. You could do the other, which is say, screw all of you. I'm my own person. I'm going to do whatever I want, and you react to it. That tends to lead to a lot of crashes. So this has been a big part for Scott and Romain Groschon as well, Jimmy Johnson as well, having to learn the behaviors and styles of everyone and build a comfort level from there to then try and be your own authentic IndyCar self. Um, This is something where I believe he's done a very good job. Have there been instances where it seems like he hasn't gotten the most out of the car? Maybe because he still doesn't know how to get the most out of it in every instance? Yeah. Are there situations where he had an option to push harder and decided, yeah, I'm not going to go totally mental here because the risk-reward is unfavorable? I would bet that that's a real thing, too. If I'm having to appraise what he's done through two-thirds or so of the season, I would say you are 13th in the standings, directly behind Alexander Rossi by just a handful of points, uh, two spots behind your veteran teammate, Will Power, by not a lot of points, and you're sitting in front of Jack Harvey, Young talent, now full season, second year, right? Second year of full season effort and had some highs, had some lows. Jack has certainly starred in a number of qualifying sessions, had some decent results. Jack's also behind him. I know that Scott's driving for Penske and Jack's driving for a smaller, newish team that only has one full-time effort. I get that. Team-wise, they're not directly equal, but if we talk talent, Hey, uh, Jack's light years ahead of Scotty. So him sitting in the middle of Rossi and Harvey as a rook and two spots behind Will Power? Um, Send it, man. I would be completely happy just knowing him, and I'd like to think we know each other a little bit. uh, The guy is absolutely hating life right now because he had what, three or so top tens in the first half of the season, capped off by that amazing P2 in his first ever oval race. 
he hasn't been back inside the top 10 since. Not all of his fault. Some of it, though, for sure, right? That, that's on him. Some of it, not all of it, but had some bad finishes, uh, had some decently competitive days, but not great. So I would have to say coming back to a Indy road course, that would certainly be a place where I think he could do well. Pretty much everything else, though, is going to be new for him. Uh, texted with him yesterday. was just like, hey, man, can't wait to hear what you think about uh, my home track at Laguna Seca and the, uh, the corkscrew. And he's like, man, this is bucket list stuff. But uh, Nashville is new for him and everybody. Um, obviously, getting back to the Indy Road course, it's one spot where he can hopefully uh, do something good there. Gateway Oval, brand new. Portland, brand new. Laguna, brand new and Long Beach. So I think there I think if we had one or two more decent finishes, if he has one or two top 10s, you know, maybe 8th, ninth, 10th, whatever to close out the year and the rest, you know, maybe 12th to 14th wouldn't surprise me, but I would say really good stuff to build upon for next year. So if I'm Roger, if if I had signed him to a one-year deal and one-year deal only, uh I would be looking at this season and for hashtag me personally, uh, I would be saying, yeah, uh, as a complete true and total rookie, barring that one race at St. Pete, uh, I think we've got something to work with here. And how many rookies had less impressive seasons and got more opportunities? So yeah, I like, uh, I like what we got here, Daniel. Uh, Ben Cohen, MP, hope you and your amazing lady are doing well. What team do you see having a strong second half that has had some ups and downs in the first half? says, I'd vote that Marshank Racing helps put together some better team efforts for the bean flicker himself, Jack Harvey, which helps him land a contract extension. Hmm. You are well spotted. You're a spotted man. Uh, Well spotted there. For sure. I think I mentioned this in print not too long ago as well. Meyershank Racing leaving mid-Ohio, having a bit of a break. They're part of the teams that will be testing at least once, though. But coming out of mid-Ohio, of all the teams that have shown potential, not talking drivers, talking just teams, they're the one to me that has demonstrated the greatest potential during a race weekend leading up to the race and then achieved the least amount in the majority of those races. Disqualifying Elio Castroneves, obviously he's done one race for them, won it. And it was the Indy freaking 500. I'm not talking about Elio who I know is going to be joining in now doing the majority of the uh, closing races to the season. But just saying, if we're looking at your point here, Ben first two thirds of the year, MSR is the team where you go, wow, if they could just put together, if it's a three-day weekend, all three days, if it's a two, all two, if it's a one, one, whatever, if you could maintain the form you demonstrated from that opening day to the checkered flag in the race and the weekend, where's Jack in the standings? He's not 14th. He is 7th or 8th, I think. 
And that would be phenomenal. That would be right up there with Colton Herta. They're thereabouts. I'm not saying Jack is on Colton's level driving-wise. not saying he's far off, but again, we know Colton's a bit of a, a magic pony here. But this is a top 10 team based on what we've seen through qualifying. Whether it is strategery errors, some driving errors, some whatever it is, there have just been too many races that go sideways this year. Clean that up. And yeah, this team is actually, I think, really uh, holding something special. But that's the issue here, right? No one cares if you're a million-time pole winner and a zero-time race winner. I'm not trying to be harsh on them. I'm just saying they have demonstrated such high potential that there's been a weird, funky thing where you go, okay, from really the start of the month of May, I realized that the second Texas race took place on May 1st. But if you look at the proper month of May, starting with the Indy GP road course, uh, Jack's finishes, I just pulled it up here, 23rd, 18th, 16th, 19th, 17th, 19th. You average that out, and it's B-A-D bad. And yet the team isn't bad, the driver's bad, the engineer isn't bad, etc., etc. So big, big with you on this one as MSR is the big one to improve. I'd probably move to, where would I move? Probably go to Foyt after that. And it's just the glimpses that we saw early in the season with Seb. I mean, you, he's running so well. Um... Road course, street course, getting into the first ovals of the year. We know that he was taken out twice, no fault of his own. Um, Similar feelings on potential. We know Sebastian Bourdais, our beloved French fry. We know that that guy can go and win any race, any track, any time. He has that skill and potential. Ovals, road course, whatever. We know that he still can. There's nothing about, oh, he's an older driver. None of that stuff. He can still get the job done, period. Team certainly has made really solid strides and is definitely capable of continuing to do big, big things or attempting to do big things. Get their a finger hold on some big things. We know that that potential is there. Are they where a Meyershank Racing is in terms of potential? No. They don't have a technical alliance with a big Chevy team that's going to make sure they're pretty darn close in the setup window at all times. But they're trying like mad. And we know that Seb can get the job done on a bit of an island, right, from a technical standpoint. There's no one else within the team driving-wise that's going to help advance uh, the speed of his entry. Would love to see, though, and have to believe that outside of some bad luck, you know, that anybody who's not in like the top five (laughs) has a legitimate complaint. Top five or six has a legitimate complaint that this has been a bad year and they've had a lot of adversity. So nothing unique here talking about some of the hardships for McLaughlin, Jack, Bourdais, etc. But, you know. Romain Groschamp 
in his former team who has done three fewer races is only four points behind Seb. And that's Dale Coyne Racing. Now, Dale Coyne Racing is a better team than A.J. Foyt Racing. Not saying that that can't change, but, I mean, the numbers don't lie. It's just a little bit alarming to see that Seb, with three more points-paying races, granted two of those are Texas, where he was taken out, you know, early-ish, but, yeah, uh, I just want to see some more flashes because I know that that team's capable of more. We know Sebastian is, so it's probably not trying to speak out of turn or disrespect Dalton Kellett, but when I think of A.J. Foyt Racing, I think of two one-car teams. Uh, Sebastian might be able to help Dalton with some stuff, but we really don't expect Dalton to... uh, Seb, if you go up 100 pounds in your rear springs, night and day difference, brother, you're going to go find a half second. It's not. Jack, super quick on his own. That technical alliance is paying dividends. Um, Interesting to see that these two are right next to each other in the points. I don't know if Seb's going to be able to overtake Jack. But yeah, I want to see how these two teams rally to hopefully close the season. Both of them, whether it's Jack earning a new contract, Sebastian hopefully getting signed for next year if he assuming that he wants to. I haven't spoken with him in a little while, so I still need to find that out. But um, the Foyt team seems to have something here. But they need to start showing that fluke good finishes aren't a, a remote possibility, that they can go into a race and have a legitimate expectation to qualify in the Firestone Fast 12 every time and finish somewhere inside the top 12 every time, if not top 8 or 10. So those are my two picks. Uh, let's see, where else do we go? Uh, YVR Maximus from Twitter. I don't know if I've had a question from you before, whomever you are or aren't, but uh, thanks for sending it in. Who do you like for the championship? New Garden, Young Lads, or Dixon Forever? Love the question here. My little head movies during this break more than once have told me, watch out for Joseph Newgarden. Uh, He's 70-ish points. What? 16? I forget whatever the number is. 69, 70 points or so, I think, behind Alex Pillow. It just feels like there is a surging new garden. I don't know if I feel the same surging within the rest of the Penske team in terms of uh, title contention. I know Joseph is fourth, just got his first win. Uh, Pagano is sixth. Um, Yeah, what, 29, 45-ish points away. Um, I don't feel like Simon's going to rally and mount a title contending close to the season. Would love to be wrong, but feels like Joseph is the one driver in the top four that is on a mission. Uh, With the Ganassi cars, Palo in first, Dixon in third, I realize that Alex won Road America. We know that 
Joseph's transmission, no braking, uh, no win for Alex. But Alex has been super good, super consistent, uh, just really, really phenomenal. I don't know if I have seen that. I'm going to put it on pole. And even if I don't lead most of the race, I'm going to rip first place out of your hands. We have seen him do just acing the championship contender test. Two wins. He's had, what, two poor finishes? A 17th and a 15th. Uh, everything else is either a podium or really close. He had that 7th at Texas, which is a little ways off. But from the first 10 races, in terms of the quality finishes, a first, a fourth, a third, a second, a third, a first, and a third. Like, that's, right? It's amazing. I just think that as we get into the the fiercest portion of the season, where those with championship leads sometimes aren't willing to take that risk here or there, and the ones who are not out of it but back enough to where they cannot leave anything on the table, well, New Garden's not known for being a big crasher. Big mistake guy, chucked the thing off the road, lost a lot of points here or there. It's not him. So I love the spot that he is in. I just, if we're talking a real let's keep this fun and spicy there's going to need to be some some performance and engineering crispness from Pelot's entry and Dixon's entry in particular. Uh, they've been really good. I'm just not seeing that, and they're threatening for the win at most places that they go. I know that Scotty has a win. I know that Alex has two. I know that Marcus Erickson in fifth has one. If you add them all up of the 10 races, Chip Ganassi Racing has four. Again, no question about the quality of what they're doing. Couple of little, like, yeah, you know, Will Power doesn't have his power unit issue. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, electronic power distribution issue at Detroit. Uh, is Marcus first or second? Um, I. I think most of us might assume that power would probably win that race without any interruption. Uh, we already spoke about the road America thing, getting Alex helping Alex with that win there. Um, Dixon starting on pole at Texas, somewhat hard to pass place uh, for round one again, able to win there. Uh, not dismissing their wins by any means. I'm just saying by and large, we haven't had many that have been qualified on pole, meaning we went and took it, not on points, but placed our car on pole based on speed and then went out and won the race straight up based on that and nobody else having adversity. Of course, there's going to be adversity to close the season. There's been adversity throughout that's made this a season this season so amazing with the different winners and drama and whatnot. So we can expect Polo to have some drama. Uh, Dixon to have some. I we maybe hope if you like the guy, New Garden's had enough for the year. Maybe it can be a little cleaner for him. But you know, not saying New Garden won't win a race or two more because a Ganassi car was running up front and had some sort of problem. You know, all these things are possible. 
Just be interested to see if the Ganassi cars can displace New Garden and probably Power, who's going to be up there, a definite nuisance. Herda, for sure, maybe VK a little bit. Graham Rahal, uh, he's been doing really good, consistent work. Just going to be interesting to see if they can maintain that thing without being a true, oh my God, you're the fastest car on the track most places that we go. And then the other title consideration, Pato Award in P2, uh, 40-ish points behind Polo. Maybe the most fascinating option to consider as we look at title contenders. And that's because it's been a light switch-ish year for Pato in the Air McLaren SP team with his entry. It's kind of an all, kind of a nothing. Uh, switches on, switches off. One of the two. Not a lot in the middle. Uh, similar to Polo, he's had two, call it bad bad results. Maybe three, two, I think, in particular. Two is what jumps out in my good old memory bank. But you look at how he's done everywhere else. Let me pull that up again. And it's been a similar read in one minor difference, though. Uh, he's got a fourth, got a third, got a win, got a fourth, got a third, got another win. That's great. Road America, ninth. Uh, and he drove like mad to get to ninth. I don't know if we'd say the team really rolled out of the trucks fast and had much to show. Mid-Ohio, okay, this is again another Pato Award. Maximum effort, craziness. Let's just see him go buck nutty. And team wasn't really there, right? Again, he drove his behind off to finish eighth. Great. What's the thing we know that Scott Dixon has taught us over the years and Dario Franchitti did many, many times? Yeah, limit like a really small number of very bad finishes. Pelot's got a 17th and a 15th. Uh, Everything else is in the top 10. By and large, everything else is in the top four. That's the thing. Uh, Dixon, he's had a little bit of a challenged year, but... He's been pretty darn consistent. Two bad finishes, right? Um, A 17th. Now, that one hurt at Indy. Really hurt. But the other worst is a 9th. Every finish Dixon has had this year outside of Indy is inside the top 10. Some of them not super crisp, right? That's why he's third in standings. Had an 8th and a 7th at Detroit. But got a 9th at the Indy GP. It's those couple of things where you go, that's the reason. Right, We know Dixie can win. We know he's going to be in around the podium, but he has a couple of the items, finishing results. These are the things to look for, dear listeners, if you aren't already, when we're talking about championships, how they are won or lost. Minimize the really bad days to two, maybe three. It's about all you can really get away with. Obviously, you're going to need some wins and a bunch of podiums. Do not let... Those sevenths, eights, ninths, tenths pop up more than two, three times at most. Otherwise, you're not going to be champion. I realize, of course, there's going to be exceptions. Uh, it's, It's not a hard, fast rule, but it's when you see those, oh, man, you're on a roll, but, oh, 
yeah, an eighth, a ninth, a tenth. You're there. You get some good points, but yeah, too many of those. That's where championships fall off the tracks. This is why Pelot is P1. Uh, outside those two bad results and that seventh, which again wasn't great at Texas, every other finish is a podium barring that fourth at the first Texas round. But even that isn't too bad. Just sharing these things because when I'm looking at titles, title contenders, New Garden's had all the bad luck he can really afford, right? He's got two bad races, uh, two finishes outside the top 20. Um, right. One of them of his making, one of them not. Indy was 12th, not great. He's got a 10th at Detroit, uh, not great. He can't afford to have 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th. He can't afford to do many of those. Can't really afford to have any more bad days as well. Do feel like, though, there's something about a new garden charge to close the year with two wins, two more wins, maybe three. I would not be surprised at all if out of the last six, new garden takes two or three and rockets himself forward. That's where I'm just so curious to see how does a Ganassi, Polo, Dixon, uh, Aaron McLaren SP award, how do they, I don't want to say react, because when they, they all go to Nashville, they're not going to react to Joseph's pace and, oh, we're going to totally change the setup based on what Newgarden might have just done. They're going to come, everyone's going to come in with their best ideas, the stuff they've tried in testing, the stuff that they've, done on the sim, the this, the that, all the bench testing, whatever else. They're all going to come in with their best ideas. Who's going to be crisp? Who isn't? How do those teams adjust during the event at Nashville, at the second Indy Grand Prix, at Gateway, at so-and-so? How close are they to start? And can they refine enough to be really sharp and battle each other properly in the races? That's what I'm looking for. Cannot wait to, I cannot wait. This is, this is going to be so cool. So yeah, if I had to put my money as much as I'd love for Alex Pillow, the first driver member of the Prue day, uh, to win a title or Pato or Dixie to win his 19th or whatever crazy number it is. My head movies are telling me there might be something happening with the, uh, Joseph Newgarden experience. All right, where do we go here for the last half hour or so? Uh, Silvio Constantine Vladucha. I hope I didn't murder your last name. It's got a couple of circumflexes or something above the A, so I apologize, Silvio, if I murdered it. Uh, it says, long time, but not first time. It's very true. Can you clarify how an entry is part of the leader circle? I thought it's only for the full-time entries until I read your article from Racer about the third Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan entry says, thank you. Keep up the good work. Uh, I'll reiterate a little thread from Twitter. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, It's not only always an option, but sometimes pretty much the first option. But uh, the question that I've gotten from a couple of folks is, well, hey, uh, right now the third car part-time is really in contention for having a leader circle. Uh, earning a leader circle to make use of next year, that roughly million-dollar prize money, guaranteed prize money that gets paid out in installments throughout the season. 
how they're a part-time team. Don't you have to be full-time to qualify? I haven't known that to be the case. What I understand is the top 22 in entrant points, period, qualify for a leader circle. By qualify, what does that mean? Well, if you don't have an intention to turn that third car, in this case, part-time car, into a full-time entry next year, you would not sign that agreement. Once you earn a leader circle and sign the agreement, which therefore commits the NTT IndyCar Series, I was about to call it the Indy Racing League, my apologies. That's when this program started, though. Uh, you sign that. That is an agreement. That is a, a call it a business arrangement uh, between your team for that specific entry and the series for you to show up at every round next year. Decide not to sign it. Well, show up, do whatever you want. Who knows? Uh, win the championship, whatever. Do whatever you want. Just not a leader circle team. So I am only aware of the full season requirement as being a part of signing that agreement. It's more or less a contract that says you're going to be one of our full season properties that we can not only count on from an entry list standpoint, you're going to be there. We can count on you. We know what you're going to have. We know we can sell. We can promote. Uh, We know what our tracks and the promoters of those events can say, Hey, going to have this driver at every round. Um, You commit to being full-time once you earn and sign that leader circle agreement. So that's what I understand, Sylvia. Thanks for asking. Matt Philpott, how you doing? Another active Prude member. Says, generally speaking, at what point in a season do teams start giving attention and effort to preparing for the upcoming one? So you get the generic answer after the Indy 500 when that gets asked. When do you start preparing for the next Indy 500? The moment the checkered flag waves. It's complete nonsense. Uh, That doesn't happen. But it's a a question of what does that preparing involve, right? Uh, I am aware of one, and I'm not saying this is the only team, but I'm aware of one team that will, barring something really strange happening, have a rookie driver next year. And that team will have a rookie driver that will need a variety of training and development for them to get the most out of their early season but overall season. So since that team today knows that that is going to happen, barring, again, some drastic change between now and then, it would be very wise during a break like this, Matt, to say, okay, cool. Uh, What tracks can we go to with this young driver? Is it possible, like they did with Jimmy Johnson at Ganassi, to put him in some non-IndyCar equipment so he can get some additional laps? Can we go do that but with... uh, former champ car or something. Uh, What can we do to shorten this upcoming IndyCar rookies development curve? Not that they are bad or or need extra help, but just a, hey, uh, 
we don't want you to have to fart around for a year or two and, you know, learn at the limited pace, modern day IndyCars, very reduced testing calendar allows new drivers to have. How can we circumvent that to some degree? That's something I'd be working on right now uh, for sure. And hatching a plan, getting that signed off on so that when the final checkered flag of the year waves over Long Beach, maybe you're rolling into that two weeks later. Uh, That's something you could do that isn't necessarily vehicle preparation or otherwise. Um, Say for the most part, there are a number of teams that have already decided whether they want to have a new race engineer for driver X. Uh, they might want a new gearbox mechanic. They might want a new crew chief. They might want, could be the PR director, head of communications, run down the list. Um, it's a lot of little facets here, Matt, about what you might be doing and when, who you've decided you want to keep and don't, uh, who you might in field inquiries to, hey, hi, uh, person that works for another team, uh, ever thought it about not working for them and working for us? Like, you know, uh, so I wish I could say that on this date, most teams start doing this thing. Yeah. Not so much the case, Matt. It's it's a very case-by-case thing with those teams, what they need. Uh, There are a couple of teams, I know for sure, that are going to look moderately to significantly different when we come back next year. Uh, Teams looking to improve managerial culture, uh, engineering depth, mechanical aptitude, like variety of things where they're saying, hey, we're doing good, but we're not here to do good. We're here to do great. And we need to make some structural changes, significant changes, uh, to get to where we believe we should be. They're not waiting until the season's over to start having that internal conversation of like, well, then how do we do it? Uh, They're having those conversations now, may have already had them, uh, or are planning to have them in the next race or two with a variety of people and to start getting things in motion so that when the curtains fall over the season at Long Beach, notices are given as soon as possible, uh, whether it's the I'm leaving your team to go to another or notices given as in, sorry, uh, you're getting notice to leave our team and good luck finding work elsewhere. I've had that happen before in IndyCar. It's not fun, but hey, it's life. So I'm just sharing that because when I say these things, it's not like being catty. It's like, hey, yes, I've been recruited by teams and I've been booted in the backside from teams as well. So uh, none of what I'm saying is coming from a cold place. Uh, I've been there. So it's a lot of that stuff, Matt. Hey, here's another one. Uh, So we've got such and such as our engine partner and our contract is up at the end of the year. Uh, are we renegotiating with them? I mean, that's that's a lot of attention and effort and preparing for the upcoming season because if your deal is up and you need to re-sign, well, you've known that all year. Uh, you're probably having heavy negotiations. Maybe you're wanting to see if the other brand uh, could do something better or more for you or fill a gap somehow for you. And 
you certainly want to get that rectified as soon as you can. Because if you are making a switch, well, changing out a lot of stuff on the cars uh, to fit that other engine manufacturers, ancillaries, and everything else. So that's a pretty big project to do. Then from a branding standpoint, boy, you sure are peeling a lot of stickers off of stuff, having to put the other brands' logos in place and shirts embroidered and fire suits. And so it's a lot of those things, Matt. Uh, it's not just the car and when are you going to put some new uh, A-arms, front A-arms on the car, when are you going to polish this or try that? A lot of this stuff is business planning, personnel, and all of it comes with some sort of how can we get to this as soon as we can? Because, yeah, even though IndyCar's offseason feels long, and it is long, you want to make changes as soon as you can so you have as much time as possible to have those people and whatever things you're trying to do, have as much time to kind of bake in and uh, get ready for the upcoming season. Uh, John Wojnar mentioning that it's uh, a little hard not to worry about the Delta variant of the Corolla virus. Uh, wondering if IndyCar is making any plans um, in case there might be another shutdown. Interesting. I don't know. Uh, I will ask. Um, hopefully I'll get to catch up here with Jay Fry in the coming days, so I'll try to remember to uh, ask this uh, fearless leader-ish of the Pruday group. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this today as my wife and I were uh, uh, hospital uh, across the bay, not hospital like emergency room or any of that, but just to go there for a fairly long and drawn-out uh, appointment and was thinking about that. So she and I are masked up everywhere we go. Uh, usually wearing gloves as well, whether it's latex or just cloth gloves. But uh, I find those gloves help me avoid touching my eyes or nose because I have this weird non-natural thing on my hands, which makes me aware of them at all times. So I don't, you know, rub eyes and do any of the things that you might worry about uh, if there's something you might introduce to your body. And we're both vaccinated. Like that's not you know we're we're super vaccinated super good uh even so with her you know fighting cancer chemo a weakened immune system it's not even something to play with on her end this isn't a well just trust everything's fine uh and this isn't some whatever dissertation about stuff just sharing that you mentioned the delta variant and yeah today for whatever reason while at this um, long appointment and, you know, we're in there and going from room to room and, you know, whatever things being done with technicians and this, that, and the other, you know, everyone, all the staff are masked up, all the patients and people, everyone there is in a, as you might expect at a hospital still, uh, everyone is in full protective everything, uh, as if the coronavirus was, uh, undefeated and there was, uh, nothing slowing its uh, path. So I just wondered, like, am I still, still going to do that when I get to my first IndyCar race? I don't know. Um, do I want to be the only guy in the crowd looking like an idiot with a mask on and everything else? When, if no one else is, I don't, I mean, I look like an idiot as it is. So that <laughs> that's really not going to change. But just some of the things I'm thinking about, John, and it does come from this Delta variant. 
because what's the last thing I can still afford to do, even with the vaccine in me and numbers coming down and even with all that stuff going on, the threat of this new variant is something that I have to, at least in our somewhat unique situation, have to consider because uh, I can't afford to get sick, not take care of her, and then risk getting her sick. And, right, that has some big implications potentially. So, yeah, that's why, like you, uh, I'm really hoping, as I see every day, Olympian this, basketball player that, whomever, whatever is in protocol, uh, friends, learning of friends, not just one but multiple Last weekend, Silverstone F1 unable to attend because they're in whatever protocol, whether they got it or were exposed or you name it, Zach Brown. Uh, So, I mean, so not being alarmist, John, but like you, I do want to ask because although I haven't been to an IndyCar race in a little while, uh, I have seen that, yeah, um, seems to be a little bit of relaxing in that regard. And is this something IndyCar is going to be really strong about saying, nope, uh, we're going to act like it's still here and just as bad or I don't know. So answer is forthcoming. Hopefully, uh, Jerry Robert Sudduth says as someone who worked on the cars from both cart and the IRL, what aspects of each did you enjoy working on? Was one more forgiving than the other? Didn't spend a lot of time in cart, uh, as the 99 season uh, with Hogan. And I'll give you two basics. And it's how things land in my head, Jerry. With Hogan, we had a Lola, Mercedes, Benz. With, uh, in general, I guess I worked on both Delaras and G-Forces. And the, <laughs> the IRL cars struck me as indestructible these were beefy these are vehicles that were designed from the outset to take a punch and we know about some of the issues with the original uh i guess you could say the original original irl cars knowing that the first season was all uh uh x cart indy cars but those original ones, especially with the uh, more or less solid Emco gearboxes, were, oh my goodness, terrible. But uh, even so, even with a lot of uh, lightening of uh, the gearbox and the bell housings and a lot of things to make them not just lighter, but also possibly break if they hit a wall instead of punching holes in the walls, uh, just from the tip of the nose to the, the end of the attenuator, these are vehicles that could take a punch, like impressively so. So when I think of it or them, I don't think of, gotta really think about everything you do. Really gotta, you know, your hands are, you're touching something that's, you know, it's like uh, opening up a, a watch and all the little miniature things that are so finely attuned that, oh, you just nick a little something and move a little something. Uh the whole thing's going to fall apart. Not saying cart cars were like that at all, okay? Not saying that. But I am saying that whether it's a lighter weight, uh, things being more highly stressed, cars definitely being more highly tuned, so many aspects on your average cart indie car 
that could be modified that adjusted overall vehicle performance compared to your average IRL car, which more simplistic and basic. Uh, I just, yeah, loved, loved getting my hands on that Hogan, Hogan Lola, which, you know, I don't want to pretend like I had my hands on it all the time, but anyways, um, loved it, respected it. And, I don't want to say feared it, but there's definitely a sense of like, hey, everything you do here matters, right? You get any little thing wrong, you put the wrong number on the setup sheet for this, you misread whatever it is. You can get things to a place where they're not happy pretty easily if you aren't super on point at all times. Of course, you know, at the Indy 500, you off a tiny little bit on left rear toe settings or whatever else on an IRL sled. Yeah, it's going to affect the car massively. But in general, just a little bit more of a lump of clay that uh, never really felt to me like it was going to fall out of shape. Uh, let's see, where do I go here to pick the last handful of questions in our roughly hour and a half of the week in IndyCar, uh, I should mention the coolest thing that I found in storage, other than my crate of posters I'd been looking for that I packed away from a really, 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 really long time ago, was inside of a bag, inside of a bag, inside of a bag. I found a medium-sized duffel bag, and no clue what it was. Like I said, I haven't seen it in 15 plus years. Had truly forgotten I owned it. Uh, Just totally lost that uh, I possessed it. Both of my father's racing suits. Hi, Rosie girl. Uh, Both of his racing suits. Like what I interpret to be his original one from mid-1960s or so. And it's just a single layer Nomex top and single layer Nomex bottom zip up top. Uh, I don't believe there's a brand. It just says Nomex on it, right? The, the label says Nomex. Um, I, I mean, I was almost in tears. <laughs> I mean, truly, cause, uh, lost my dad in 95. I was like 24 at the time. So not super young, but still like he was my guy. Um, didn't really inherit much of anything. Not talking about money, just saying like I got two of his cowboy hats. He's from Arkansas. I have his favorite screwdriver. Uh, dad was a mechanic, and a couple little knickknacks here and there. But really, like that's a I got two hats and a screwdriver, and had forgotten that I had his racing suits and a pair of his shoes, and two and a half sets of gloves, balaclava, and some Nomex underwear. And also his last driver's suit, which he got at some point in time in the 70s and wore through like 91, I think, because I have a photo of him I posted a little while ago of him standing next to the Formula Ford that he and I uh, put together. and I got to run him in in his last race, and he's standing there next to it with a big... uh, Pardon my French, but as he used to say, this is one of his favorite uh, terms, shit-eating grin, just a big old shit-eating grin. 
uh, standing next to the car in pit lane in that fire suit. So I guess I'd forgotten that I had it. Uh, all I know is I opened that thing up and it was just like a punch to the face of amazingness. So you need to figure out what to do with that. It just seems like something that should be pres- not obviously preserved, uh, but like it'd be really cool if it was framed or something, or I don't know what, but I need to figure that out. If any of you have great ideas, have done stuff like that with a driver's suit, let me know. Um, I'll figure it out. But uh, I've got two of them, and it was just like, yeah, other than his hats and that screwdriver, like I, I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss for words that I have that because I've been so accustomed to for so long of like, I have memories of my dad and I got a limited number of photos and a couple of, couple of physical items, but not much in realizing that I had those, like it, it, it hit me, hit me hard, but in a really good way. So, all right, let me get back on track here. And I apologize for that little non sequitur. Uh, let's see, uh, our pal Peter nut from Holland. Uh, have I been approached by NBC yet? I have not. I don't know why they would approach me. Uh, I don't really know anyone there anymore. Uh, I enjoyed my time doing Indie Lights broadcast for a couple of years with the uh, super producer, Sean Belby. Sean's no longer there. Um, I, don't, I think I did, what, one IndyCar um, broadcast, uh, but it was a practice day on gold or something like that during uh, the month of May and I don't know, uh, 2019. That was a lot of fun, but yeah, uh, I know y'all. And I'm saying this in all honesty. This is not some sort of dodge to the question. But I know y'all. Love y'all. You're like family, even though I don't know the majority of you. But many of you, I have come to know. I hope y'all have come to know my wife and I a little bit, our silly cats and whatnot. But I know y'all. Do I think I could do an okay job in the booth? Yeah. Am I a broadcast professional? A million percent not. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, and again, I do realize that a Townsend Bell, Paul Tracy, uh, many folks that sit in that booth, you know, they have no formal training and they just wing it, but grow and wing it and become good, if not great. Uh, hey, would love the opportunity. Wouldn't lie to you. If they called, I'd say, yeah, sure. I'd also probably realize that it wouldn't be too long before they said, yeah, maybe you don't need to show up in the booth anymore. But anyways, love the opportunity. Be a blast. Be a total... Yeah, I'd love it. Obviously, guess what? I talk about IndyCar. Uh, once a week in a listener Q&A, and usually once a week with a guest, sometimes twice a week with a Q&A. I write about it. I photograph it. I do videos about it. You guys might have figured out, like IndyCar a little bit. It's been kind of the foundation of my professional life or, or junior open wheel leading up to IndyCar, but you know, all those things do not equate to NBC knowing who I am, if they do know who I am, thinking that I'm the least bit qualified to be on air. And so I have zero expectations and nothing whatsoever. So uh, I enjoy talking to y'all. Maybe it's because I don't get a, a lot of people yelling at me during the broadcast of me speaking into the microphone. Maybe that's it. Anyways, thanks for the question, Peter, but no. Uh, we're going to go to Austin Sutton AMP. Let's hypothetically say someone installed a Chevy engine in Dixon's car and a Honda and Will Powers car without them knowing, uh, if the start and operating procedures were unchanged for the two of them, do you think they'd notice a difference in the feel and sound right away? Or are the engine similar enough to be imperceptible to a veteran driver? They would know in an instant, they would know the moment 
the car fired up. Uh, the Not just the audio difference, but the vibrational difference, the sound of the motors as they are idling, as they rev, uh, they would know within 0.01 seconds that they had something different. And leaving the pits, they would notice the difference. Accelerating on pit lane, on the pit lane speed limiter, they would notice the difference in behavior. And then pulling away off of the speed limiter, they would know a million percent simply because the uh, mapping would be different and just how the motors behave. Uh, These are small differences, but to fine operators like these two are honestly, uh, you give a rookie one race with each engine or, you know, a race with rookies and swap those engines on those rookies for the second race, they would know in an instant as well. So yeah, uh, again, these are things that the average person wouldn't feel probably wouldn't notice so much, but to these insane people who are so finely attuned without a doubt, they'd know right away. Uh, Don Gregory, third time submitting, by the way, Don, I appreciate your persistence. Stop doing the resubmission thing a little while ago, but Hey, uh, you've been persistent and it got through. Uh, it says third time submitting, but Hey, who's counting? Would IndyCar consider changing the qualifying format to a single car qualifying for both road and street courses, a warm-up lap followed by a flying lap? If they did, how do you think the starting grid on road and street courses would change? Uh, Interesting question, Don. Uh, I don't think it would change. Uh, Keep in mind that drivers these days are so good, so well-studied, even though track testing has come down, they spend so much time in simulators that... You know, they every driver, serious driver, has refined their game to the sharpest of points. Uh, I don't think you're really going to see too much of a difference there. Um, the thing, I mean, there's a couple drivers where it might take them a lap or two longer than some others to get the absolute peak, but we're not talking like they were trash the first two laps and then magic on the third. It's and little granular improvements. So I don't think there'd be much of a change. I guess my main question here is why would you want to cut qualifying to something that lacked so much interest? Uh, for hashtag me personally, so much of the fun is multiple rounds, 10 minutes per round, and some strategery of when you change from Firestone's primaries to Firestone's alternates. We have the occasional, couple times a year, usually, wild card of a red flag that comes out late in the session, maybe after teams have had a, you know, the, the guaranteed amount of time and laps and whatnot, and all of a sudden a person who waited too late and usually it's not the driver saying no i refuse to pit and put on the alternates it's usually you know again a strategery gamble um sometimes you see them caught out with a driver who should be on pole or first row or two and hey drama they're starting 19th and you go all right well this is going to be fun well guess what that came as a result of trying to build some drama in qualifying if everyone goes out single car qualifying 
uh, does that one lap to warm up and then a flyer and stops. Um, what I don't like about that, Don, is there's no filter for quality that gets harder and harder leading up to the final Firestone Fast 6. So based on the qualifying draw, you could have the best driver go first and track might not be fully rubbered in, who knows what, and ambient changes maybe over time. Think about a place like Road America where it's a long lap. It takes a while to do all this. Uh, Does that person not get through simply because they went first or second or whatever? Uh, what if you have things where all the best drivers are basically up front and set some of the fastest times and the majority of the drivers who are again, very good, but not, you know, the best, are we just sitting around caring about, Hey, all right, well, look, you're set, you're 17th. Yay. Like there's some drama built into this current format that of course there could be some slight tweaks to it, but, uh, I get doing this on an oval. I can't see why you would consider doing this on road and street courses. So uh, would they ever consider doing it? Not if they care about the quality of the show that they put on. Uh, Let's see. Mark Gillespie, you are ushering us towards the finish line. Uh, Let's see. You are axing. Since there's a lot of chatter about Roger Penske possibly looking at Renus VK as a replacement for Simon Pagano, does Penske think uh, with the IndyCar Series owner and Ilmore partners of his brain and what it would do to take yet another driver away from a competitive Chevy team and hurt the series overall balance? Or does he do just like Newgarden did a few years ago, uh, grabbing him from Carpenter, Fisher, Hartman Racing? Not believing that Renus is available mark so uh i don't think that's even a thing that could happen um maybe some modifiers i should attach to that but i mean we don't have much time left but i don't think he's really on the menu for this year i would say roger is not looking at competitive balance within the series and chevy teams i think if pato award was a free agent he would no longer be a free agent because he would be driving for roger penske next year um i don't know romain Groschon's status of being contacted and i'm not saying i know anything about pato i'm just saying i don't know if Groschon is on roger's shopping list if they're going to replace simon um i would hope he would be because wow that guy's tantalizingly something scrum truelessently good not a lot of names, though, that jump out where you go, oh, yeah, um, that's who we're going to get, and who cares what it does to the competitive balance. So just highlighting a bigger issue of, yeah, there's a ton of great drivers. So few, if almost none of them, can be had for next year. So, uh, but if there were, if Renus, if Pato, if Colton, if, 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 uh, some Rossi, if some of these monsters were totally available, uh, I don't think he'd care which manufacturer they currently represent or what that might do. Uh, his business is to win for his sponsors, and 
I think there's a general belief that uh, if they're winning, IndyCar is winning as well. So that might lead to a follow-up question next week as to whether that's really an accurate view to take. But I'd struggle to picture Roger saying, well, we could get that driver who would be amazing for us and could probably win. Uh, we know they'd win races, but maybe a championship for us. If they're young, maybe they could be with us forever. If they're mid, late career, who you know, still, they'd be really good for us for a three-year contract and be amazing. But I'm going to take a knee here. Uh, I'm going to call a bit of a competitive timeout, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to find someone else who's good, but meh, not nuts in terms of threats. Ah, that's just not in Roger's instincts at whatsoever. Uh, let's see. Two thoughts here on my road to Indy question. Jamine Tuttle, how you doing, Jamine? Says, watched all the light race, lights races this year. Saw all the road to Indy races at IMS in May. Linus Lindqvist seems the most polished and ready to move up. David Malukas and Kyle Kirk- Kirkwood are also doing well. Toby Sowery looks like a veteran that is driving better than his machinery. Yeah, that, that might be the name of Toby's autobiography. Uh, and I don't know if he needs to... Hi, Rose. If he needs to do any more years of Indy Lights after this season, I just don't know how many opportunities are waiting for him in IndyCar unless there's someone wanting to fund him there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I got a lot of time for Toby Sowery's talents because, yeah. Um, can't disagree with anything you said there. Uh, I know that Kirkwood, probably because of his familiarity to IndyCar teams just through being around for a little while, uh, obviously title-winning success on the road to Indy, plus he's American. Uh, I think profile-wise, might suggest he's a clear P1 in terms of folks at the IndyCar level knowing who he is and you know, if they might have an opening for a rookie driver, him being that rookie driver. Um, I don't know if there's budget behind him to do that winning the title would be great that'd bring what 1.3 million dollars but that's still five six million shy of what most teams are going to want so uh, i'm with you with linus i think that kid does have i've said this before recently on the podcast as well that kid just looks like he's got something a little bit magic and personality wise i think he might be a good fit with a lot of teams uh Kirkwood, the proverbial uh, member number one of the Kirkwood fan club. And look, some of the best drivers and athletes are all about believing in themselves to a million percent and letting you know how good they think they are. That's not necessarily a bad thing unless you have a team owner where that sensibility is a conflict for them. Linus, I think, is someone that any team owner would feel at home with having no questions on that front, and the guy's a badass behind the steering wheel. So, yeah, uh, I can't wait to see how the season resolves. Uh, Tom Blackburn, you say, hey, MP, I love the work of David Malukas and Kyle Kirkwood. Hope we get to see both next year in IndyCar. Who's impressed you? Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I guess you can say the same thing, if not the identical thing about IndyCar, which is there's some great drivers who are not necessarily competing in the top teams, and therefore their results are limited 
might have a good surprise every now and then, but for the most part, you look at where they finish in the championship and go, yeah, if you were with this team or that team, boy, you'd be in title contention. It's the same thing every year in Indy Lights. And I always feel for the ones who are rookies, you know, coming out of Star Maz to Indy Pro 2000, and you go, yeah, I think that kid's got something, and they can't land with the right team, and they have a decent season, but not a memorable one. So I think of a kid like Stingray Rob, know that his arc has been, yeah, give me a couple years at each level of the road to Indy, and, you know, by my last year, I'm going to be an animal. So maybe his driving personality isn't one that lends itself towards kicking butts and taking names like a Linus, a Kyle, and David and such. I hope he, I, I'm impressed for what he's been able to do. I hope he's able to do more. Uh, Alex Peroni, I think, again, lots to learn this year on his uh, Indy Lights debut with Carlin. Feels like a second season would really benefit him. And if he wasn't your title, you know, potential title favorite uh, in year two, I think you'd be a little crazy. Devlin DeFrancesco has certainly shown uh, some good stuff. Not quite, whoa, watch out world type stuff yet, but uh, I know I've said before, I'd love to see him do a second season because I think developmentally um, that would be important. You look at, he's got a fellow rookie, Lights teammate in Kyle Kirkwood, who if he isn't leading the championship, is there or thereabouts winning a bunch of races, right? So, Kirkwood's the control in the experiment this year with Andretti Autosport and Lights, and you know for sure that he's demonstrating championship potential. Therefore, his other teammates, I think all are rookies. I apologize. My brain's fading a little bit, but, um, you know, we've had some polls, we've had some thises, some thats, but Kirkwood's been the one standout. So if his other teammates uh, aren't measuring up to that exactly, seems like leaving IndyCar, I'm sorry, lights at the end of the year would be a little bit premature. So uh, overall, I mean, we haven't even spoken about Indy Pro 2000 or uh, USF 2000, but I love what I'm seeing in USF 2000 a ton. Uh, Indy Pro as well. Um, yeah, let's go into that a little bit deeper, hopefully next episode or something like that. Cause I'm a little bit past the hour and a half, uh, self-imposed limit. And so, um, do want to get to one or two more quickly here. James Malloy, uh, with the schedule being a major topic of late, how many races could the series realistically run, uh, wrote today, wrote last week, or maybe even the week before, uh, about Roger Penske's. Uh, mentioning that a maximum of 18 is what they're looking at. Uh, Justin Holmes, with the Portland Grand Prix being the only race unsponsored, is it Green Savory's job to promote the race, or is it the city's? Hoping it stays on future calendars. Also, will you be in attendance? On the latter part, I hope uh, it's the one real flyaway. Long Beach is a six-hour drive. Not sure how that might be done, but I do expect to be there. Portland's the only question mark. Uh, I don't want to be away from my wife for the weekend. I don't know if she's ready to travel like that and fly um, or do a 12-hour drive. So that's a question, but I hope. I'd love to. Eh, got a feeling they're going to sign someone t- uh, to sponsor the event. 
even if it's not an amount of money that they really like, I gotta believe they're gonna find something, Justin. Uh, let's see, Toronto doubleheader in the future, Kevin DeVries. Uh, with Toronto's scheduled date having come and gone, marking two years of no Canadian races, would there be any incentive for IndyCar and Green Savory to attempt a doubleheader in 22 uh, or a Montreal round at uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve uh, to try and retain Canadian fans? Says I wasn't following the series, but then I understand uh, when it was left off in the 2000s that hurt attendance for quite some time. Yeah, it did. Late, I forget what year. Was it 2008, maybe? Um Spoke with Kevin Savory recently, very recently. Asked him how things are going in Canada. He was not dispirited uh, about holding the event in the future and being able to get fans back. So he tends not to be a guy who uh, is dishonest when we speak. So if he is feeling encouraged about its ability to still be popular and happen, um, then I do as well. Uh Matt Odlin, you got a great question um, about some of my favorite-looking cars that never won an IndyCar. Uh, I'll try and get to that again uh, at a future podcast. Uh, All right, we're going to wrap here with a couple of quick items. Uh, Call it overtime. Cody Okua, Daniel Ingleton again, and Greg Gorham. Greg, I'll go with you because I don't know if I recall reading a question from you. It says, will the cars in the new IndyCar video game have LED panels on them? If they don't, I want us to wage a boycott because clearly no LEDs, no interest, man. That sucks. Uh, I hope they do. What would, would that be the, uh, the Prude pack or the, the MP podcast pack or just Marshall Pruitt's a freaking idiot pack, but yeah, gotta have LEDs on them. Right. And, and, uh, if not, I'm sure some fine folks can come up with, uh, some modded liveries for us to use, uh, I know I asked this question, and Daniel's throwing it back at me. Who would I have on the cover art of the 2023 IndyCar game? Roger Penske. Because what's going to sell more video games than like an 87-year-old guy on the cover of an IndyCar video game? I would have no driver. I'd have a car. I would have, in theory, I'd have two or three cars. Uh, I would have the current hybrid-engined Delar DW12 center. I'd have probably a 50s Indy car Roadster, something like that, some kind of throwback. Roadsters were beautiful, so I'm just thinking with a, not a photo. I don't want photos. I want real, true art, something drawn that is amazing, tons of color, tons of, of vibe. Roadster. I mean, they look the part of being the old-timey thing. Since IndyCar has 100-plus years of history, we can't ignore that. Uh, but the cars are really beautiful, so I think even you know new IndyCar fans, young gamers would look at it and clearly go, okay, that's old. Maybe I don't care about racing that, but it does look beautiful. Um, and obviously we need to have some sort of retro pack, some sort of something that goes with it. And then I'd have crazy futuristic uh, on the bottom. And so, you know, current car feature, dead center, bigger of the three, something on the bottom that says total, let's say, outer space, 20 years, 50 years from now, something nuts, make that available as well. And uh, some sort of roadster. I I wish I could say, hey, if we put this driver on the cover, it would sell a lot. Yeah, cars. Let's do it. Uh, hey, guess who our guest is? Tony Cotman. 
He's uh, he's going to be here on Wednesday. He's the guy, circuit designer of many circuits, former team guy, uh, Andretti Autosport and plenty others. But uh, he's the guy who made the Nashville Grand Prix circuit. He's the guy who designed it. We're going to find out, finally, what are you going to do if a car tries to go over the bridge? Uh, we know that they have fencing up, but, like, what if it gets through that? What do you have? Um, our driver's going to have to wear floaties on their arms in case they go into the water, uh, just like you do in the pool. I don't know. I don't know. Rubber duckies, are they involved? We're going to find out. So Tony Cotman's going to be our guest on Wednesday. Call for questions will be going out in the morning when you might be listening to this. So thanks once again. Truly do love and appreciate what you all do for my wife and I. I love this conversation we have each week. Speak to you here in a day or two.